the gift of life, for waking us up to see another day, for starting us on our way, for getting us into the house of worship. God, will you let us make it here safely? Thank you. Thank you for this awesome opportunity to be a vessel to be used by you. As we come, Lord, we come in humility of heart. God, not thinking that we can do anything on our own, but that we need you. So we invite not only your presence, but your power to manifest mightily in this place today, that you will minister through your vessel, that you will speak words of wisdom, words that are gonna change minds, hearts, and lives. Let your kingdom come and your will be done this day, Father. God, and you have your way in this place. We declare and decree every ear is open to hear. Every heart is open to receive. God, we thank you that the seed will fall on good ground and produce a good harvest. God, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you just for the joy of being able to come in and hear a word from on high. Let your words, words of wisdom pour forth that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you, O Lord. You are my strength and my redeemer. For you, all glory, honor, and praise be yours. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 All right. Praise the Lord. So we're going to begin today, first of all, with um, today's devotional. I thought it, I like all of the devotionals leading up to today because they all talk about having an appetite for God. How is your appetite, your spiritual appetite? So I'm going to read today's um, devotional. It says, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. And that's from Psalms 119, 143. How's your spiritual appetite? Thank God for skilled doctors who know how to diagnose illnesses and prescribe medications that bring health and healing. But here's something you, you to, for you to think about. What if many of our stress-related illnesses could be more successfully treated with meditation than medication? The psalmist wrote, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Your laws are always right. Help me to understand them so I may live. Those who love your instructions have great peace. And that's from verses 143 and 144 and, one, and 165. When there's a chemical imbalance in your body, it may need to be treated with medication, an altered diet, and daily exercise. But when your soul is starved to the point of dysfunction, it needs to be treated with God's word. We're not talking about skimming through a few verses and rushing out into our day. Butterflies cover a lot of ground, but only bees gather honey. Sometimes you have to stay with a particular scripture until, you're, until you extract the honey. Sometimes you have to stay with a particular scripture until uh, you, act, you to live with and meditate on it until it takes root and starts to grow within you. It says, see Psalm 119.48. It takes time to change ingrained character traits, ways of thinking, oh, ingrained character traits. God may work on one area of your life for several weeks or months. New habits and ways of thinking need time to be established. You must recognize this and allow God to reveal and reinforce new truth in your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking because you read a certain scripture truth 
it will produce instant change. It must be applied daily, and that takes time and meditation. Amen? Amen. It really does in order for the change to come because we've been so ingrained and so accustomed to thinking a certain way that it, we have to really work the word in order for the change to come about. So prayerfully, that's going to take place today because the Lord has been talking to me about, as I began when I first found out that pastor was going to be going on vacation, I began to seek God for what he wanted me to minister. And he kept saying humility, humility. And so I've been meditating on that for a while. And so the title is going to be, okay, let me get it right. Called to be clothed in humility. We are called to be clothed in humility. And we're going to study today from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So we can go there in our Bibles. And while you're going there, I'll just, just a little background. In 1 Peter 5, this is the apostle Peter who was writing to the leaders of the church with instructions concerning their duties as spiritual leaders and how they are to shepherd God's people. And also, he was giving instructions not only to the leaders but to members of the church, our response to the leaders. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you are there in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 1. I'll read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll go back and break it down. Peter writes, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that faded not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So let's go back to verse 1. He says here, he's talking to the elders. Now, the elders are our spiritual leaders. They are the pastors, the bishops, the overseers, the under-shepherds. He's talking to the elders. He says, which are among you, I exhort. Now, in this context, the word exhort means to appeal or to plead or urge. So Peter is urging the leaders what he's getting ready to tell them. He says, what he's getting ready to say, he says, who am also an elder. So before he gives them instructions, he's letting them know, I am also an elder. I have... Um, not only am I an elder, so he's not making himself superior to. You know how you could come to talk to somebody because you're in a position that you're superior to them. That was not Peter's case. He's actually modeling what a leader should do. He says, I am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter was there when uh, Jesus was uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. 
He was there when Jesus was crucified. Peter was there um, to watch and to see the many occasions where Jesus suffered. So he says he is an eyewitness. So he's talking from what he knows. He's seen what um, Jesus went through because the prior chapters actually talked about suffering. So he says he's a witness of Christ's sufferings and he is also a partaker, which means he's gonna be a partaker. He's gonna take part in the glory that shall be revealed. Now the glory that shall be revealed that is going to be, um, the glory to be revealed is what our heritage is, what we're looking forward to when Christ returns. It is the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the blessed hope that we as believers look forward to and anticipate the moment when Christ will return. So he says, I'm also going to be a partaker of that with you. And he goes on to say, now this is the instruction that Peter gave, feed the flock of God which is among you. Now that word feed means to shepherd, to take care of, to rule, to teach, to instruct, to protect, to guide, to discipline the, um, the flock that God has given you, which means God has entrusted the members of the body underneath these leaders, and they are to take care of them and feed them. Now, think about this. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times, and when Jesus restored him, what he said to him was, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So Peter is giving the body, the elders, the, the, the leaders, the same instructions that Jesus gave him. Feed my sheep. So he's saying, it's your responsibility to take care of the flock that God has given you. He says, taking the oversight of them. The oversight is the care of. Oversee them. Take care of them. Guide them. Teach them. Instruct them in the way they are to go. And he says, but don't do it by constraint. Don't do it because you must or because you feel obligated or you are forced to do it. That is not the heart of the leader. That is not what he's saying. Leaders are not supposed to live with, I mean, lead with that kind of mindset, but willingly, which means eagerly. Serve eagerly. Come with an eager heart. Uh, on one's accord, voluntarily do this. He says, but don't do it for filthy lucre. That means dishonest gain. Don't do it for greed. Don't do it for the love of money. Don't do it for power or position. Don't do it for the purpose of getting rich off of God's people, off of the body of Christ. Spiritual leaders are to have a heart for what they can give, not what they can get. That's what Peter is saying. So this, these are instructions for how spiritual leaders are to lead over God's people. He says, neither be, verse 3, oh, don't serve with wrong motives. Verse 3, but don't do it as a, don't be Lord over God's heritage. Don't Lord over, don't be dominating, don't be manipulating or intimidating. It's not about controlling people to make people do what they need to do. This is all about, God is more concerned about our hearts. So it's about having a heart. So when, if we lead, if leaders lead the right way and instruct 
and teach and they are an example to God's people, then they don't have to force people. You don't have to force people to tithe if you teach them about tithing and the benefits of it. But I've been to a church where it was pretty much forced on everybody to tithe. And that's not the heart of a spiritual leader. I want to look at something. Let's go to, hold your place, and let's go to Matthew to look at what Peter is really saying about not the oversight, not constraint, and not being a lord over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. Go to Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, and we're going to read, and this is Jesus speaking, and we're going to read what Jesus has to say about how leaders are to lead. In verse 25, but Jesus called them unto him and said, and now Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said, because in, before then, there were two disciples that wanted to be great and wanted him to put them in seats of authority. And he says, you know, the princes of the Gentiles or the leaders, they exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or servant. And whosoever will be chief or leader among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was teaching his disciples how to look at leadership from a kingdom perspective. Worldly leaders dominate, they micromanage, they dictate, and they use power and authority over people. But Peter says, believers are not to serve like that. Believers are to serve in a place of leadership as servants have the heart of a servant. Spiritual leaders are called to follow Jesus' example. And Jesus just said, he did not come to be ministered to. He did not come to serve, but he came to give his life as a ransom. He came to lay down his life for the redemption of many. So as leaders, leaders are to lay their lives down in order to serve the body of Christ so we can come up higher in what God has called us to do. In other words, pastors, bishops, overseers, elders, the spiritual leaders have to lead in such a way that we, the flock, if we follow them, we are actually following Christ. When he says, go back to First Peter, when he says, be an example to the flock, leaders are supposed to have the servant's heart and to lead in such a way that they exemplify who God is, who Christ is. Let's look at, okay, go on. He says, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that faded not away. Now, we all know the chief shepherd is Jesus. When he returns, he is the true shepherd. The true shepherds, those who have led genuinely, will receive their eternal reward which is a crown of glory that faded not away. The crown of glory is our eternal inheritance, and our eternal inheritance will never perish, never fade, never spoil, not be subject to decay. Let's look at just a couple of pages back. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verses 3 and 4. Well, I'll just start at verse 1. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you. That is the crown of glory. That is what we are looking forward to is that inheritance because we have been born, we born again, but we have a living hope. And our hope is in the re- not only because he was resurrected, but that he is going to return and going to crown us with in eternal rewards. Amen. Let's go back over to chapter 5. Now, Peter switches what he was talking about. He was first talking to the leaders of the church. And it's so important that leaders do understand that in leading, leaders are to lead in a way that the followers actually see God, Jesus, manifested. The heart of the servant, which we're going to get to, humility, a humble heart, not being proud and pompous and puffed up, but a heart that's willing to do all that leaders can do to bring people up, to edify the body so that the body can be who God created us to be. Now he goes on to verse 5, changing from talking to the shepherds and to the leaders to talk to, oh, I'm sorry, before I go there, I missed a part. Go back to the crown of glory. So the crown, the word crown means a surrounding as in a wreath or a garland, and it is given as a prize to victors in a public game. Eternal reward of blessedness, which is given as a prize to genuine, true servants of God. That's the crown of glory. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elders, verse 5. Now, here, younger does not it could mean younger in age because young people should respect their elders it also pertains to young in office or young in position that we serve in in various positions in the church we are to submit that means the word submit is to line up under or to surrender to to yield one's person to the power of another to give up resistance so those that are younger in position or in age, or even in um, office, are to yield to, respect, get up underneath their leaders. And it says, not only that, is not only, now we have a responsibility as members of the body of Christ to submit to our leaders, but Peter says, not only that, he says, all of you, leaders included, be subject That word subject means be submissive to one another or be obedient to one another and be clothed in humility. So let's go back to be subject one to another. That means that we are to have mutual respect towards one another. That means as a leader, a leader doesn't necessarily position themselves to be so superior that those under them cannot come to them, but that when a member comes to a leader that they will hear him out and even receive and respect what they have to say now i know we have that as an example here our pastor is our pastor she's the under shepherd she's over us but if you go to her and you have something she will listen 
and she respects what we have to say. That's the heart of a true leader. That is the heart of God. That's how he instructs the leaders to lead. So he says not only are members to be submitted underneath our leaders, he said, I want all of you, leaders included, be subject, be submissive one to another. So Christ is not, is not our title in leadership is not important to God. What's important to him is our heart. How are we serving? How are we treating one another? And then Peter went on to say, be clothed with humility. Now, this is where the engirdle come in at. So to be clothed means to engirdle oneself. So if you've ever put on a girdle, a girdle fully covers you. So we have to cover ourselves in humility. So let's talk about humility. What is humility? Humility is being lowly-mindedness, to be free from pride and arrogance. To clothe in humility in the scripture is actually talking about having the same mind towards one another. So let's look at, uh, go over to chapter 3 of 1 Peter, and let's look at verses 8 and 9, where it talks about that. Verse 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful or tenderhearted, and be courteous, and that word courteous mean kind, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrywise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. So what Peter is saying here <laughs> is that we're to maintain, be of one mind, an inward heart of unity. We're to be tender-hearted towards one another. We're to have compassion towards each other, not rendering insult for insult. So let's just talk about this. If I have a tender heart towards you, and if you have a tender heart towards me, we're not going to tear each other down. We're not going to talk about each other. We're not going to insult each other because our hearts, to have a tender heart is to have a soft heart. And I was thinking about, um, I have a, a, a young cousin, she's about half my age, and she's been out in the world since she was a teenager. But you know what? Because, and this was a young girl that I used to bring to church with me every Sunday. I would keep her every weekend up until she got to be about seven or eight from time she was about two. And so I had a tender heart towards her, even though she went out into the world as a teenager, she could do no wrong in my heart because whatever she did, I did not hold it against her because I loved her just that much. And I remember my daughter saying, Mom, no matter what she do, it doesn't, you don't get angry at her. I can't because my heart is tender towards her. And that just reminded me that's the kind of tenderness we should have towards one another, even if by chance someone insult me, my heart still has to be tender towards them. Because if, I'm, if my heart is in the right place, regardless of what comes at me, I'm not going to receive it. I'm going to see behind that and see who they are. I'm going to, that love is going to, you know, rise up in me. Now, let me tell you, it's not an easy thing to do. Humility doesn't come easy because we're born in sin. We're not born in, to be humble. So that's something that has to be worked in us through the work of the Holy Spirit and by what this um, devotional said, 
work in that word, meditating on that word, letting that word just resonate in us. Because let me tell you, it's something that can be done, but it has to be done on purpose. So we, it says, we are to have one mind. That mind, that where it said that we are to clothe ourselves in humility, put on the attitude of humility, put on the attitude of love. We have to clothe ourselves in this to keep pride and arrogance from rising up. And that is called for everyone, not just leaders, but everyone. We're to be one-minded. Imagine in the body of Christ if we had that kind of humility and that kind of love operating in us, people, more people would come to Christ because it's unusual. And to see that amongst a group of people, it draws people because they're like, this is different. It is very different, but that's a kingdom way of living. Be of one mind, have compassion. I have compassion for you, which means just because I may be in a leadership position, I'm not going to rise up in superiority over you. I'm not. I, that, that cannot happen because if that happens, that means I'm not truly following Christ myself. This is how you can really look at a leader. Are they? See, you know if you're sitting up under right leadership, if you can see Christ exemplified in the leader, if you see the humility, you see the love, you see the compassion, tenderhearted, it don't matter. I've gone out and I've just done something that could possibly ruin my life. But when I come back, you know, there's a scripture say, if they sin or if they fall away, restore one in meekness. That's what we're to do. Not hold it against one another, but have a tender heart of love and compassion. And I'm not going to speak evil of you. I'm not going to insult you. I'm not going to put you down. I can't do that if I am truly following Christ. But if I haven't read it in this word to change my mind, I might do that. It's this word that renews our mind. It's this word that changes the way we think. It's this word that tells us how to live in this new kingdom. Remember, we have been translated from darkness into light, into his kingdom. So if we are kingdom citizens, we have to put on a new mind. We have to clothe ourselves in the type of love that Jesus has given us. Think about it. There is nothing we have done or can do that would prevent him from loving us. That's how we are to be with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. There is nothing you can say to me. Insult me. I'm going to love you. It don't matter. And, and I'm doing it because I have, I have trained my brain to think this way. It's like I can't, I'm not going to get offended because you said something offensive. Okay, help me, Jesus, Amen. to walk in love. To, because guess what? Love is going to break that mess. If I can't love you, you're going to continue in that same behavior. And that's what we're being of one mind, being not only am I going to treat you that way, but you're going to treat me the same way. But we have to learn. We have to put it on on purpose. This is a decision that I have made that I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to walk in that humility where I'm not thinking it's all about me. See, oh, we'll get to that. Keep going. Let's go back over to ch chapter 5. God, listen, the reason we are to clothe ourselves in verse 5 with humility is because it says here, God resisted the proud 
and giveth grace unto the humble. Now, I thought about this. Have you ever thought about God resisting you? There are prayers. I read somebody that said, have you thought about there could be a, a reason why some prayers we prayed haven't been answered? Maybe because there's some pride in the picture. God resists. So let's look at that. God resists the proud. Resisted the proud. Resist means to take your stand against. You know how he says over in James, resist the devil? Well, guess what? That same resistance God will apply to us if we operate in pride. It says God resists, which means he stands against. He is in opposition to. He opposes a proud heart and a proud attitude. What does it mean to be proud? Arrogant. Showing oneself above others. An exaggerated sense of one's worth and importance. Overbearing manner. Showing an attitude of superiority, superiority, haughty, high-minded, boastful, and then have contempt for those that you feel are inferior. Proud people. (laughs) A proud person cherishes independence and will not submit to God or others. So God is resisting the proud, but guess what? The proud has already resisted God. So the proud resists. Now, I'm going to go back to Ezekiel chapter 28, and we're not going to go there, but in Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about Lucifer's fall. What brought Lucifer down? And the scripture said in verse 17 that his heart was lifted up. He had a proud heart. He was pompous. He was arrogant. He was full of himself because of his beauty. He corrupted the wisdom he had because of his brightness. So what did God do? God cast him down to the ground. It says in Proverbs that pride comes before a fall. In other words, Lucifer began to desire himself to the honor and glory that belonged only to God. That's what we do when we're full of pride. We're putting ourselves that, well, okay, let me talk about it. The proud. Why are some people proud? Because God may have called us to a position, and we've gotten full of ourselves because, ooh, I'm called to pastor. I'm called to to do this, and I get full of myself because of it. But guess what? When I get full of myself, God's not in the picture because he's opposed to that type of attitude. He's opposed to that proud mentality. Pride leads us away from God. So because we are led away from God because of our pride, God is opposed. He's withstanding. He's resisting. Let's look at, let's take a closer look. Oh, well, we're going to talk about this a little more in depth if that's how God leads me next week because it's actually more to talk about humility and how, what humbleness looked like. We're not going to talk about it today, but next week, if God leads, that's what we're going to get into. So God, we are to be It says here, submit one to another and clothe ourselves with an attitude of lowliness that I'm not thinking more highly of myself. I don't, just because I may have been called to a position, I'm not going to look down on someone else. That is what God is going to resist me. And if God resists me and I don't have him, there's nothing I can accomplish for the kingdom. If God is opposed to me, that means 
I'm on my own. And, and you know how I, we've read scripture that says, if you desire the praise of man, then you've gotten your reward. Well, that's, that's a reward that's not going to last. It's only going to last as long as people are lifting you up. But the minute they stop, and trust me, they will, and they will turn away from you, that glory is all gone. Then what are we going to do? We're left hanging. We don't have God because he's resisted us. He's far away. He's opposed to us. And then we don't have the people. So we're kind of like lost out there on our own. But there is, but we can come back. Lower yourself. He says, I'll get to verse 6. God resists the proud, but he says, give grace unto the humble. Now, when I saw that, I'm like, okay, if he gives grace to the humble, that means we need grace. But what is this grace? So grace is the undeserved favor of God in providing salvation for those deserving condemnation. And we know that applies to all of us because we deserve to be condemned. We deserve spiritual death. We deserve it. But God graces us. He gives us favor, which is his abundant love. He provides it so that we can be saved. It's also the redeeming activity of God that manifests itself in the redemptive work of Christ, all that Christ did in his works in, man, in, in the activity to bring us to God. That's his grace. Grace is also, uh, grace equips us for service. It gives believers the ability to do what we can't do. Grace gives, grace gives believers victory over sin. It disciplines and trains us to live in a way that honors God. It helps us in our every need. It is the ongoing act of God working in us. So grace is ongoing, and grace equips us for service. If it wasn't for his grace, you know, how you say, where would I be? If it wasn't for his grace, he says, my grace is sufficient because my grace is sufficient to give you everything that you need to accomplish what I want to do in and through you, which means we can't do it apart from his grace. So we need to be humble so that he can give us some more grace to, to do what he's called us to do. So that's why we need to be, it says, clothe ourselves with an attitude of lowliness, of humility, so that God won't resist us, but he will continue to give us his grace. Then after that, he says, now humble yourself. That means we have to do this. That means that's something we do. We humble ourselves. God would present, he will allow things to come to bring us into humility, but we have to do it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That means come into a low position, come into a low attitude. Don't always focus on me, me, me. Don't always focus on, oh, it's all about me. Oh, I, no, be humble. Take a low estimate of oneself. Don't think more highly. And that's not, that's not easy not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to because I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we were taught to be proud, be proud, stand up, you know, do for yourself. You don't need anybody to help you. And that's the stuff that makes us independent. And that's what God is going to resist, that independence. He wants us to depend on him. In humility, we recognize we have a need. 
Humble means to be in need. It means I'm not proud. I'm not haughty. I'm not arrogant. I'm not assertive. I'm not um, unsubmissive. I means I'm going to submit under my authority and I'm going to submit one to another. I'm going to take a low view of myself. Not that I think less of myself, but I think of myself less. I'm not focused on me. See, the focus is not on me. The focus is on God. The focus is on how can I help another person. The focus is on God. What do you want to do through me? It's called leaning on him, depending on him. God, I need you because I can't do this apart from you. That's humility. You know, sometimes... When we pray, we're praying out of pride. And let me say what I mean by that. Because we haven't asked God, how do you want me to pray? We just start praying. Humility says, I'm seeking to know how you want me to pray, not what I think I ought to be praying, not how I ought to. And and another thing I remember um, early on, not even early on, I can even go back to about a year or two ago, I was afraid to even ask God, for certain things in prayer. And I didn't know that was pride that kept me from asking because I didn't think that he would answer. I didn't trust him to answer the prayer, so I wouldn't even ask it. That was pride that was keeping me in bondage and captivity to keep from even asking God, you know, I want to pray, I want to request this of you, but I couldn't do it. And I didn't know why I couldn't do it, but as I began to learn and study in his word, I realized that was pride. Because when you think you you don't think anybody else can help you, that's pride. Can't nobody help me do this? I can do it for myself. That is pride. And so pride means God's not in the picture. He's resisting that. So sometimes we don't even ask God to do certain things in prayer because pride is keeping us from doing it. You know, I want to request, I'm praying for such and so salvation, but I don't really think they're going to get saved, so I'm not going to pray for them. Pride. Pride. You know, it's, it's pride. I, I, don't think they, I don't think God can save them. That's pride. That's a prideful attitude. And God is resisting that. So we have to be open. We have to be humble. And we have to say, God, you can do anything. If we really understand God can do anything, and he is all-powerful, and he wants everybody to be saved, then there's no one that we can't pray for. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care how worldly they are. It doesn't matter how, how far gone they are, addicted to drugs. God can save them, but we have to make that request. And I'm only going to request it if I really believe he can do it. But if I'm prideful, I don't think God can do it. Well, that's, that's pride and fear, also fear operating also afraid that God won't answer the prayer. So he's saying sometimes we need to really check our motives. Are we being humble or are we being prideful? Is pride leading us? Is fear leading us? What is really operating in us? But he says we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's God's power. God's power working. So God may work in a way that we don't understand, which happens a lot, because Certain situations, certain things can come into our lives that we just don't understand. God, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? Why is it taking so long to see this prayer come to pass? Why is it taking so long for my family member to be saved? What, you know, all of this stuff, 
it is God working and we don't understand it because God is working to change our character. There are some sufferings that we have to suffer through and we have to go through in order for God to perfect us. And that perfecting is what prepares us for what he wants to do in and through us. See, the reason he was saying humble yourself because some of the people, some of the people that were in position and offices, not yet quite a leader, were feeling themselves. And they want to know, well, how come I can't be in that position? Why can't I be the leader? Why can't I be the worship leader? How come I can't minister the word of God? Why? You're not ready. Amen. Bottom line, there is work to be done in our character before God can elevate us. He says, humble yourself under the God's mighty hand because he, God has got to do a work in us to prepare us for the position he's called us to. Sometimes I think it's a mistake that people may prophesy over us and tell us what God has called us to ahead of time because we don't know how to wait on God. We want to do it right now. Well, I'm called to be a pastor. Well, I don't know why they don't recognize me as a pastor. How come I can't be the pastor? That For that very reason that you're asking is why you can't be a pastor because you're too full of yourself. And so he's saying, don't be so anxious about what God has called you to. Wait on him. Humble yourself. Take a low position. Sit up underneath who I have put you under and serve in the position I've called you to. And when your time comes, when I see that I can trust you and I can trust you with God's people, then I will elevate you as what God says. Let me do the elevating. Don't elevate yourself. Don't put yourself in that place because if you do, you're going to fall. You're not ready yet. That is, see, that's the attitude that's not humble. That's a proud attitude. And God is opposed to that type of attitude in the church, not just with leaders, but with all of us. That is a position we, listen, that's a mindset we can no longer allow to operate in us. It has operated, it still operates, but from this day on, let's be mindful, let's make a decision. I'm not going to walk in that haughtiness. I'm going to lower myself when it rises up. Nope, God resists the proud. Do you want God to resist you? Do you want God to be opposed to you? I can't even imagine. I'm like, oh, my goodness, God opposed to me. He's resisting me. He's withstanding me. Where would I be? And it's like, no, lower myself, humble myself, take a low position. I'm not all that. I'm lowly. I don't think it's all about me. Let me put my focus where it needs to be, and that's on God. So that's why he's saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let God work on that character. Let these situations that we're in, these trials and these tests, let them work out what they need to work out. In James, he says, count it all joy. And we don't want to count it all joy because it hurts, but count it all joy. Hallelujah. When you fall into various trials and temptations. Why? Because God is a trying of your faith. It's a trying. Faith has to be tested. Faith has to be worked on. See, that's where the resistance come in. He has to work on our faith. Our faith has to be tested because he said it is the testing of your faith that worketh patience and let patience have her perfect work that you may be what? Perfect and complete, wanting nothing. We're not perfect until God has had a chance to work on us. So we are in some times. We are in some situations. We may be suffering. It's okay. Let it work. 
Let it work. God, I thank you that you're doing a greater work in me. It hurts. It hurts. But you're doing a greater work in me. The focus has to be on God and not on the suffering. The focus has to be on him. So while he's doing that, guess what that work is doing? Bringing us into lowliness. It's keeping me from thinking more highly of myself. Because right now, I don't think all that. Because I'm in pain. I'm hurting. I'm in a place that it ain't a good place. It's a dry place. But that is working what God wants to work so that at due time, in due season, when God thinks that I'm ready, he will elevate me. He will put me where he wants me to be. I can't get there on my own. I can't think that I know it all because I have some wisdom and I have some knowledge and I'm, I, I think I know the word and I can do. No, I can do nothing apart from him. And so he wants us to humble ourselves. Take that low place. Don't be caught up in who you think you are. Come down. Because if you don't come down on your own, he's going to bring you down, one or the other. So you can either be brought down, and it's going to be hard, or humble yourself under the mighty working of God. And then he says, in due season, he will exalt you in due time. Wait on the Lord. Hallelujah. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then he says, cast all your cares. Because, see, the fact that we be thinking we need to be the worship leader or we need to be in the pastor's place, that's an anxiety. That's a care. Those things will drive you nuts. He says cast. To cast means to throw on something. So you're to throw all discouragement, anxiety, despair, discontentment, displeasure, anything. Cast all of that mess on the Lord because he cares for us. If you really know he cares, now think about this. He says, if I care for the little bitty sparrow, how much more will I care for you? That's something we need to think about. When we don't feel that, that we, God cares about us because we might be in a wilderness or we might be out there somewhere where we just don't feel his presence, remember, if he can care about a sparrow, he says, how much more do I care for you? And because I care for you, if you are humble, you're going to cast all that on me. See, pride won't let you cast it off because pride say, I got this. I can do this. I'm, I'm in control. That's pride. But humility says, God, I can't do it. I need you to take this off of me. I'm casting this care upon you. You take it, Lord, because I know you care about me. That's the difference between pride and humility. And prayerfully, we'll look at that more next week, the two differences. But because we know God cares for us, then we can just give it all to him and wait on him and be of good courage and let him exalt us in due time. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So I'm going to do the benediction based off of uh, this prayer here. Father, hear our cry and listen to our prayer as we call out on behalf of ourselves, the body of Christ. As part of the body of Christ, I decree that the leaders of the body and the families that we walk worthy of the vocation of being a prisoner of the Lord. We walk in lowliness and meekness and gentleness with long suffering. We bear with one another in love. We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, recognizing that the fivefold ministry was given for the equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
but we, Lord, will speak the truth in love so that we may grow up in you in all things from whom we all are fitly joined together and knitted together for every joint to supply according to the measure of faith by each part so that we may bring increase and edification of love to the body. For this is your desire. For, Lord, this is your desire for kingdom, people, that we are one body, we have one mind, we have love one for another, we're tenderhearted towards one another, we have compassion one towards another. Father, we will not mistreat each other, we will not render evil for evil or insult for insult, but we will speak blessings over one another, Father. We will lift each other up in prayer. God, we will put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, and we will walk in forgiveness one with another. Father, thank you for this word that you're not only speaking to the leaders, you're speaking to us, the body, the members of the body of Christ. And this is a word in due season so that we can take on the kingdom mindset, so that we can learn that we have to submit if we want you to be with us, if we don't want you to resist us. God, do the work in us. Help us to just not only hear this word, but do what the word says. Let us go back and revisit this word. Let us meditate in it. Let us soak in this word so that you can do the work you need to do in us. And let us not think more highly of ourselves and our ought to, but we ought to, but let us remember that Jesus, you said in your word, you didn't come to be ministered to. You came to minister, to serve. And that is the attitude that we want to have. So seal, burn this word in our hearts so that we will take on a servant's mindset, the servant mindset of a humble mind, Father, and that we will consider it an honor and a privilege to do so and to wait on you, submitting one to another, loving each other. God, I just thank you. You have a greater plan for us, and we want to come up into that plan, into that purpose by seeking to know how to live in a way that would glorify you. We want you you to be glorified because our service is not for now is not to receive a prize or a crown now is to receive the eternal crown of glory we want to see that crown that you're going to give us when you come back and you judge our attitudes you judge our behavior because see, you're not looking at titles and positions of authority you're looking at the heart do we have a servant's heart how are we treating one another that's going to be the, the 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 winning vote right there how are we treating one another so God, help us to just treat one another the way you want us to treat each other. And that is in love and tenderhearted. And we just thank you, Father. May you get the glory from everything that has gone forth this day through this word that all hearts are just focused on you. Father, we love you. We praise you and just give you thanks for just being so awesome and so awesome to the point that you want us to know how to do this, how to be humble, how to serve one another. God, you want that for us and we want it because that's what you want for us. So we just say thank you. Thank you for just just your loving kindness, your tender mercies. Thank you just for being here in this place and for you ministering this word the way you want it to go forth. God, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.